This program is produced by average people based on life experiences, not by licensed mental health professionals. The stories and perspectives expressed are intended to be informative, but are not intended as advice to substitute professional consultation. Personal discretion is advised. Remember, it's different for everyone, but you are not alone. Welcome to It's Different for Everyone, a show about the stories of the struggles of mental health. Eventually, I should figure out a way to introduce these episodes, but that is not what I'm here to do today. Today, I am once again joined by a guest. My name is Katie. I go by Fangs. I, I, it would probably be more anonymous to call myself Fangs, but like, there's such a footprint for that name anyway. I'm Katie, and I'm here to talk about being depressed in high school and going to group therapy for it. Yeah, you have a whole outline here, just uh, just ready to go, and I'm very interested in hearing your story. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give the floor to you and just sort of take a background roll. All right. So this is something that happened to me over the course of I want to say a couple months. the The website for the program that I was at says that it's about a ten to twelve week program. And that sounds about right. Uh, this started fairly early, midway through the year. I would say. My actual commitment was in, not commitment, um, but my time in the program probably began like around maybe January or February or a little bit before that. Um, so I, this was my senior year of high school. Um, when I was starting the year off, I already knew something was up. Like over the summer, I had just been, I had not been accomplishing the things that I wanted to accomplish over the summer. And as school started coming around, I just felt such an intense amount of dread about it. And, of course, like a lot of my struggle throughout this was delineating my usual issues with being a good student and not being a good student from something deeper that may be going on. And as the school year came to a start, one day, like, my mother, like, asked me, like, are you ready for school? And I just honestly said, I don't think so. I just started to tell her that I'd didn't feel right, and I began to use the word that I was depressed. I was inspired to use that word after hearing another friend of mine a while before describe their experience with depression, the demotivation and the general sense of just sadness, not even necessarily for any reason. And I think looking looking back on it, there are things that have been reasons. Um, not to say that my home life was terrible, but it was no secret, even growing up, that there are things that are left to be desired about some of the ways that there were interactions and stuff within family and within myself to the rest of the world, and with myself to my social circles. And a few months before, uh, during my junior year of high school, my grandmother passed away, and I realized in retrospect that that probably affected me more than I thought at the time, and it affects me more as time goes on, but grief is another issue to discuss for another day. So I entered the school year starting to embrace this idea that there might be something neurologically going on beyond anything that I had already known or coped with. And at one point, I was already starting to fall behind in school, and a teacher, I love this teacher so much, and I owe so much to her both for this and for the rest of the school year. Teachers are golden. 
she pulled me aside and she asked me like what's going on you're falling into these traps i don't even remember if she had known from what previous teachers had taught her or told her about me but then like i just spit it out i said i think i might be depressed and so she became very helpful with that and with that process i did not immediately go to counseling from that i believe that some time passed and then one day i was just feeling especially terrible about that day and I was especially dreadful about the things that I had to do and how behind I was and just generally how demotivated I was about everything. And I, I remember specifically, I was in woodshop. We had a substitute teacher, so we were especially not doing anything because the substitute teacher is not trained to help us with machinery and all of that. So I had an especial amount of time to just mull over myself. And I was like, I'm not doing this. So I went to my guidance counselor. It was the first time that I'd ever actually gone to my guidance counselor voluntarily for reasons beyond school scheduling. You know, got the guidance counselor, counselor is built into the name, but as much as they encourage you to talk to them whenever you have an issue, I never did until that point. And I just started to tell her honestly just the way that I was feeling. I told her about some of the stuff that, you know, the residual stuff from the previous year and from my general situation. And I don't remember too much of what I said to her except for the line that got me sent to therapy. I said, I believe it was, it's not that I want to die. Because I never through this process, at this point in my life, did I ever strongly feel in danger of suicidal ideation or anything. But I, I didn't want to die. But the idea of not becoming unconscious, but being dead for a few months or a few years... And then waking up at the end of it was appealing to me. Looking back, yeah, looking back, I'm not sure why I said death specifically, but it made sense at the time and it kind of makes sense now even. I had very, very similar and slash have very similar sort of feelings where it's just like, I mean, I'm not going to do it myself, but if something else did it, I mean, oh, well. Somebody PVP'd me, that'd be a damn shame. So it's, that's... More common a feeling than I think people give it credit for. Yeah. And I believe that you once mentioned that there's a term for it, passively suicidal. That's what that's what a therapist once told me that it was called. I don't know if that is a, an official term or just something that she sort of... A couple words that she sort of put together in order to have a phrase that made sense. Because the, the whole thing is that when we think suicidal we think oh i'm gonna go do it to myself and i'm gonna go do it right now and that's not always the case sometimes it's just yeah i'm not gonna do it myself but uh, i'd be lying if i said uh, i don't want to die so that was that was the uh the thing that made my uh counselor say okay i have to call your parents she didn't say that to me but i believe actually she might have told me that she was going to tell my parents um but when I got home, or when I was leaving school that day, I might have even gotten picked up early. This was a couple of years ago, so the details are becoming fuzzy. Um, I was told that my father was coming home early from work, and we were going to go to the hospital so I could get a psychiatric evaluation. So, that began my journey into intensive group therapy. I, in this respect, I am lucky compared to other people. Um, I might go into this a little bit more later, but even the kids that I was in group therapy with Almost everybody there, from what I gathered, had been forcibly committed to the hospital and had an actual proper hospital stay. I did not. 
though I did not decide to go to the hospital, though it was quote-unquote involuntary, I, w- I wasn't opposed to it at all. I did not have the kind of unpleasant experience or horror stories that I had overheard in my time at group therapy or afterward. So the, the worst that happened to me was I stayed there overnight just because they wanted to get a hold of my counselor before they let me go. But I went there for the psychiatric evaluation. We went in through the emergency room. I was put into a little triage room and they did some preliminary questioning of me and stuff. And then I was in a waiting room for a very long time. Uh, It was a pediatric part of the hospital because I was a teenager. And I remember there was a little kid there playing with blocks and stuff. I don't know what he was there for. I don't know if it was for something psychiatric or something physical, what have you. I was in that waiting room for a long time, though. I, I can still vividly remember it until I was finally called in. And I don't even... I remember being in the waiting room more than I remember what they asked me. Because even even at the time, I started to get this sense of, you know, I'm depressed, but I'm not this depressed. What am I doing here? But they had me do the whole regular hospital thing. Like, I had to get into a hospital gown and everything. They took my belongings, or at least my parents took my belongings. I, I technically wasn't even supposed to have my phone, but I was just there in a hospital room. And they would come in, they would ask me questions, they would take my vitals and all of that. They asked me about history and the family and all of that. And so the the conclusion that we came to was I did not need a hospital stay. I was not suicidal or anything, that I would be a danger to myself or others. But they told me that I need to go to basically an adolescent psychiatric program um, at uh, at a center that was not far from me, all things considered. I'll call this place Care Place if I have to call it by name because I'm not gonna name drop where I was for my own illusion of privacy. Probably a good call. And I don't I don't know exactly what to, to call the actual program because there were two programs that occurred that I was a part of. There were two phases of a greater program, basically, and I don't know what that was called. So I began what was called Partial Care Program, which was amusingly shortened to PCP. And... That would transition later into intensive outpatient program, which I understand they sometimes do at hospitals and stuff. One phase, I believe that IOP was the later phase. The first phase was that I was taken out of school completely. They coordinated with my teachers and my guidance counselor and any other administrative staff that they had to, to excuse me from school for months so that I could devote my daytime to going to this program. In the later half of the program, when I was admitted to IOP, I would go to school, but then after school, I would go, wait in the front office, I would wait if there were any other, I would wait with other kids if there were any other kids going to the program from my school, and I would get picked up by a driver and taken to the the center and go about my day there. Um, Driving was provided by the center, and I believe that they did an adult program too, where they provided driving anyway for safety reasons and all of that. The driving part was very interesting, because the group therapy had a very, very strict no-outside-contact rule. We were not supposed to make friends there, basically. But of course, the drivers did not care to enforce this. So you would just get into a car with a bunch of kids from nearby schools, and you would shoot the shit until you got to the program. 
and then we would drop our stuff off in our little cubbies, like we were like kindergartners. We were not allowed to have our phones or anything, obviously. But there were some things that we were allowed to have, like we were allowed to, you know, bring in food for lunch and all that. We were allowed to bring cards to play at like lunch and in between sessions. And then the sessions themselves were, um, they were dialectical behavioral therapy, processing. There were some guided activities like role play scenarios or things that entailed, um, like there was one activity where we had to draw a scene from our childhood and there were videos occasionally too i remember at one point we watched a video about marijuana that even the guy giving us the video he was he he made funny jokes along with us we were all locked in that little dark room the the most important part for me was the processing part because that was the open session that was really the meat of the group therapy part of it it was rather like going to an actual therapist So we would be in a room with a bunch of us kids and two of the counselors. And the counselors would obviously guide everything, but anybody in the room was welcome and invited to give a perspective or ask a question. So somebody might come in with an issue that they want to talk about, and their process is the time that they're free to bring it up. They could just say, like, I want to talk about this, this happened to me today, or I'm feeling like this. And everybody in the room would actually genuinely try to help you that was one of the things that was really my big takeaway is that for as much as we had a lot of you know fun and joking and levity in the process room was where it got kind of real and you could feel from other people that you know even for as limited as they had with you even if they weren't your usual crew that you would hang out with during the lunch period or whatever they wanted to help you and then, of course, there was, you know, the dialectal behavioral therapy and the group activities and the all of that. Uh, we got worksheets and all of that for that. And we were given, like, terms and definitions. And we were taught about psychology and the things that would affect us. Like, there was one point where one of the nurses associated with the center came in and she taught us, she told us about, like, the importance of sleep, how studies have proven this about people who work night shifts and all of that and how important it is to get... Your, your seven hours and all of that. So it was a lot of, it was a good mixture of information and general therapy. And then in the middle of the day, cut in between different group sessions, was um, lunch and during the partial care program was the school session. Lunch was just like, you know, the free time was like 15, 30 minutes or so. We would be in a little lunchroom. We were free to talk, although the counselors would be with us to police us from exchanging contact information no talking about people who aren't here and all of that but it was it was very much just like a school the community that formed it was just like seeing people at school and a lot of the people were actually from the same school there was a particular town next to mine that many kids were coming from this place they were all going to the same school so while they tried to divide us into different group sessions you, you would see the same people in your group all the time, but there would be two different sessions running at any time. They tried to divide us, but you can't. When you have six kids from school town, and you can only, you only have two groups of kids, you, you were inevitably going to have at least two or three people from the same school who know each other and all of that. But regardless, um, the school session... What would happen is that we were sent work from our schools. So, like, my English teacher 
sent over a copy of Macbeth for me to read, and I would get sent the questions. I was sent sheets from my math teacher. I was sent the readings for my history homework. And they had, they would have dedicated tutors who, I forget if they were volunteer or if they were employed, contracted through something. They would come on a rotation. So, you know, you would have this block of time to work on your schoolwork as a substitute of you not going to school. And it was recommended, of course, that like, you know, if the history tutor is in, maybe you should do your history homework today so that, you know, if you have a question, they can help you the way that your teacher might. And that was that was another good bonding opportunity too. Like I remember I was in calculus at the time and one of the last school sessions that I had, some kid that I don't even remember his name taught me how to do not derivatives, but the opposite of that. Whatever that is, I don't remember. I'm a Can you tell that I did well in calculus last semester? Anyway. So that was the school session. Obviously that didn't happen on the days that we when she moved into the program where you were in school. Another thing I forgot to mention about the group sessions is that the way that every day would open up is that every person had a binder, and they were all put into a bin. And in, the bin would be labeled depending on what program you were in. So I would look out of the corner of my eye and see by the door the PCP bin. So they would pass out your binder, and it would be where you would keep all of your worksheets and everything. And toward the front, there was a chart that you would fill out that you would chart your emotions for that day. And I had already been mood tracking just because of who I am as a person. I had an app on my phone and um, I actually ended up bringing in like a little notebook of my own because I couldn't use my phone to track my mood through the day. But something that really struck me about that was, um, of course, you had your like your general happiness and sadness columns and all of that. Hey, were you angry today? And I believe it was a rating scale system. And that was the way that I first was made privy to the ideas of, as distinct entities, suicidal ideation and suicidal intention. You would rate your suicidal ideation how much you thought about death and dying and wanting to die and wishing you were dead, that kind of thing. And then suicidal intention, which was, did you actually consider doing that? They encouraged us to fill it out honestly. I filled it out honestly, except for suicidal ideation and suicidal intonation, because... I didn't know if they were going to read it and do anything about it. Uh, I don't know if other kids filled it out, honestly. But that, that was that. And then the last part of the day would be throughout the day, throughout the week, uh, you might have an appointment. The, there was an in-company psychiatrist who would help you out, who would meet with you and talk about your medications, who would prescribe things to you if you weren't already seeing a psychiatrist. I was already seeing a psychiatrist. Uh, this, for me personally, this caused a little bit of an issue because I, I have ADHD, so I was already on ADHD medication. The psychiatrist in the company thought that that was having an adverse effect on me. My psychiatrist outside of the company did not realize that I was taken off the medication. So that was a fun time that I, it was a, I had to spend a couple of different appointments sorting that out because it was always back and forth of, wait, I thought you were still on this. But other than that, you might also have a meeting with your individual assigned counselor. So much like how you would have a static group that you would be with every day, um, you had an assigned counselor that would always be the counselor that you would see for your individual private appointments. Um, my counselor was very nice, and I still, I still think about her sometimes. She was very kind to me and my family, and she was very understanding and very helpful. 
even though she seemed to be relatively new out of school. And these were the same counselors who would sit in on the group sessions and guide the group sessions. You were not guaranteed to have a group session with your counselor. They would change out every every session, every day. The counselors that you had before lunch were not necessarily the counselors that you would have after lunch. But again, your private counselor would always be the same counselor. And then I want to say about once a month, you would have a family meeting where your parents or whoever else was involved in your family would come uh, during the day for the family meeting and they would sit in with your counselor and you would talk with them about it. This was this was an interesting experience for me because there was a point where I learned things about my family and about mental illness in my family that I had not realized because they were brought up during the session. But on the whole, I did not find those to be particularly meaningful to me, especially because, you know, I mean, sometimes my family members couldn't make it. Sometimes one of them could, one of them couldn't. I believe that there was one family meeting where my brother happened to be in town. He was he sat in on one of the family meetings, met my counselor and all of that. But it wasn't it wasn't very guided and of course the family was not nearly as involved as you were because this became your daily living, your daily job. And then whether it was inpatient or partial care, everything would be dismissed and you would sit there and you would wait until either if you had a driver during the partial care session you had to wait for your driver to be ready and get there to bring everybody in your car home. Or if it was intensive outpatient, you would be picked up, brought home by like a member of your family or something. So that was another time where people kind of got to see each other and mingle. So that was what the actual group therapy program entailed. And as I, as I started to say earlier, it was very interesting because there was a special culture that came out of it. It was a microcosm, much like school is, where you have a bunch of depressed teens in the same room, um, all kind of, you know, mingling and getting to know each other. They, they, they're not in their usual environments, but you're getting acclimated to it. It's becoming a way of life now, and you're making new connections there. Like I said, there was a, a strict rule about outside contact, but there... They could not hear everything. People found ways, whether it was discreet, like slipping notes, or just, you know, just saying it out loud in the break room. I heard two kids that I was friends with just openly talk about um, meeting up in one of their towns and seeing their friends and going to this party or something, um, and the counselor just happened to not hear them. I personally did exchange phone numbers with somebody that I was in group with, and... I do not still talk to this person, but we were we were relatively close during the time that I spent with them. And of course, something that, that was very interesting to me is that the best way that I can really describe the culture of group therapy would be to compare it to the breakfast club, except not as initially antagonistic, because that's what it was. Um, of course, we had nothing against the counselors or anything, and we enjoyed them very much as people. Uh, and they did genuinely want to help us, and they did genuinely try. But when you have a bunch of adolescents together, you're going to distrust the system, you're going to try and subvert things, you're going to pass these notes with your phone numbers and stuff on them, and, and talk about things that they're not allowed, that they don't want you to talk about, like, where'd this guy go that you're not supposed to talk about, or talking about heavy things casually in the break room. Um, so, of course, there was also, part of that also stemmed from 
Uh, I only went through this program once. Several people that I was there with had been through it before. And obviously, they were back again. And of course, like I said as well, a lot of these people went to the hospital. A lot of them were hospitalized and did not find good meaning in that experience. They had already gone through some variation of group therapy at their respective hospital. A lot of the people had traumas to deal with. Um, so there was kind of this keep it on the down low, us against them, although not that we were really against them for anything, um, which was kind of like a unifying spirit that was, it was Teenage Rebellion, I guess. But it, it was something that kind of kept us all together, even if we weren't outright against the system or anything like that. So, so that was a very interesting part of it, was just this greater spirit of camaraderie. Uh, I never felt, while I was there, I never felt like anybody was disliked me or was against me or anything. We all were very understanding of each other. And the camaraderie aspect of it was my favorite part of group therapy. Um, because personally, for me, one of the issues that I had was social life. I was unfulfilled in my social life at home uh, and in my school. But the people at group therapy were just so easy to talk to. And it was, you know, that, that whole trope of like, you know, the comedians are so funny because they're actually the depressed people. And the depressed people are actually really funny because they have all these bad experiences to draw off of. And you have to have a smile about things and all of those things like that. That's kind of the atmosphere that was there is that there was a lot of levity, perhaps in response to everything that we had to deal with in response to all of our coping and just being casual about it. When you come to group therapy every day because you tried to kill yourself and or somebody stopped you from killing yourself, when that that is the formation, the foundation of your daily life, you become a you become sort of desensitized from that and you become a little more willing and accepting to to talk about it so casually with just a bunch of other kids. Although that was that was an interesting part of the experience for me because Again, I felt very out of place there. There was that whole line of, what if I'm not depressed? What if I'm just bad at school and I'm taking it out and calling it depression and all of that? Um, where I was lucky compared to a lot of the people that I was there with. And it was a very eye-opening experience in some ways because I could see and I could get to know people that I would not have known otherwise or would not have known these specific things about them. One of the people that I felt particularly close to and looked up to while I was there that I felt most at ease talking with was somebody who was there because of a suicide attempt. And that, that was just kind of like a, a, a sort of a rattling thing to think about is that it's not nowadays I, I, I know people who have had problems in all realms of my life and it's not as shocking to me. But when you're like 17 years old, it's it's a heavy thing to to have to see face-to-face, -face, uh, and heavier to have to live, I imagine. One of the kids that I was particularly close to, one day, we were just sitting at the lunch table, we were talking, and I just, their sleeves shifted, or they weren't even wearing sleeves or something, and I saw that they were, that they had self-harmed. Like, I had heard about self-harm and all of that. One of the things that I first asked in my entrance interview with 
one of the coordinators of the program was I asked her, like, why do people self-harm? Because it wasn't something I understood. And here I was sitting across from somebody and seeing for the first time in my life self-harm. So that was one of the big takeaways for me. It was just kind of like a reflection sort of thing and a, a, an expansion of my relationship with the rest of the world and the experiences that I've been able to witness. And so that's really, that concludes most of what I have to say about the content and the lifestyle of the program. Uh, so I'll wrap up my my huge anecdote, my huge running story with uh, the, the logical way, which was graduation, quote unquote. Um, they would call it graduation when you finished the program. Uh, there was no really set amount of time, like I said, 10 to 12 weeks about, but they would adjust it depending on what they perceived as your progress and how well ready you felt, how ready your family felt, and maybe money on top of that. Like, I mean, obviously, like, if you couldn't afford to keep doing the program, you're not going to keep doing the program. So my graduation finally came, um, and, you know, I had been watching one by one people that I had known, quote unquote, graduate from the program and all of that. And, um, so, you know, it was kind of, it's at the very end of the day, the people who are graduating, everybody goes around the room, they say something to them, and, you know, it's a heartfelt moment, but there's also kind of just that cloud of dread, especially for the people who don't trust in the system and the people who have been there before, where you kind of, you're wondering, like, how much did this help and what's it going to be like afterward? Um, so how I felt coming back was just very odd. Um, over the time that I was in group therapy, I had not really spoken to a lot of the people that I had known at school, my regular friend group. Someone that I had been doing a group project with when I was pulled out of school, I had sent him a text a while ago and apologized to him, like, profusely, like, I'm so sorry I'm not coming to school anymore. I'm sorry that I have to leave you with this. Um, he texted me one day, he was like, happy Valentine's Day. And I was like, holy shit, this is like the only interaction I've had with anybody at school for months. I had particular friends that I was very close with that I got to see and I got to talk to like through text and all of that just because of just that was our daily habit but for a lot of people at school like it was just like oh we, didn't, we were wondering where you went and it's like okay um so it was kind of just like really jarring to come back not entirely feel very missed and just kind of put that chapter of my life behind me like it never even happened. As for the effects on my life from the program, I did feel informed, and while I was attending the program, I felt very good, because I was in a good environment. I was seeing people every day that I liked, who cared about me, who were helping me, who I could speak freely with and show a new side of myself that I could develop from the ground up. And being in the program was very helpful, and getting out of the program helped me to realize exactly how much of my depression was neurological imbalance, which was a bit of a factor, and how much of it was just environment and just misery from not being satisfied in my life and not being, you know, given the attention or the care or the fulfillment that I might need or not engaging in those things. Like, I, I'd consider myself an okay student 
who has a lot of trouble. When I was in group therapy and I had that structured school block, I didn't struggle to get the work done because I just did it and I had that structure in my life. So it was a it was a good learning experience for me to to have that period of growth and healthiness and all of that. But it was also very sad and sobering and it was kind of a I see why a lot of people didn't have faith in this and I see why people ended up having to come back sort of thing. Because it it wasn't a permanent change, which I mean Granted, it really isn't supposed to be a permanent change. It's only what you put into it and what you get out of it, uh, like any therapy is. But whether it was the place's fault or my fault or the fault of those around me who sh were supposed to be involved or may not have been involved, it, w it wasn't a magical cure. And from there, I had to seek my own individual therapist, which I won't get into too much because... My inspiration for coming on this episode was to enlighten people about this wonderful world of adolescent group therapy and what an interesting experience that was. But I, I started seeing individual therapists of my own, which was tricky, and it's it's a fun game to play. Um, so that's that's really all I can think to say about my experience with CarePlace intensive outpatient care and partial care program. And, all that whatnot. Well, that was a lot, but it was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot, but it was it was a good a lot, I think. Uh, <laughs> and I I thank you very much for coming on the show to talk about that. One thing that really struck me was the the couple mentions you had of it was just sort of sobering to see that there were people they had it worse than you and they were in the same program as you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I do. I do want to say just to anybody listening that has those kind of thoughts is that doesn't matter. We're all, yeah. we're all built differently. Uh, and just because other people have it worse than you should not, you shouldn't let that lessen how much of a problem your problems are, which I feel like comes with dep depression for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Which is, I shouldn't be complaining. Other people have it so much worse than I do. I mean, I have those thoughts all the time. What reason do I have to be depressed or anxious? And uh, just, it's like I hate to bring attention to this awful sort of picture. Well, it's not an awful picture. It's a good painting that's been turned into a, an awful meme. But it does have a point to it, which is... There is a an adult wolf with uh, a billion arrows in its back, and there is a small wolf with one arrow in its back. And yeah, you could make an argument that yeah, the adult wolf has it worse. Both still have arrows in their backs. Yeah. So that's just something that you got to keep in mind: is that just because other people have it worse doesn't mean you don't deserve to go seek help if you need it yeah and I, I think also something that i should highlight from that is that there were other people who had it worse for me but that was never a conversation that we had nobody cared nobody ever came up to me in process and said who cares you're fine everybody everybody even the people who quote unquote had it worse than me they sympathized because at the root of it 
a lot of us were experiencing a lot of the same core issues, just manifested differently and manifested and expressed to different degrees. Like, the kid sitting next to me, you know, he might have reacted in a way that, that came about to a worse conclusion for him, or he might deal with it more frequently, but when I talk, he hears the same emotions that, I, that I'm going through and that he's going through. And likewise, when people who quote-unquote had it worse than me were speaking, a lot of the time when you look at the fundamental of it, it was like, yeah, I feel that way too, and this is how I cope with it. This is how maybe you can cope with it. Yeah, in the end, it just sort of boils down to it's not a contest. We're all it's in not. this together, and it's not a competition. Well, Katie, thank you very much for being on. I really appreciate it. This has been, of course. This has been a very interesting one to listen to. Uh, <laughs> and it's I couldn't have asked for a better second guest. Oh, thank you. I was really happy to be on this, and I I hope that it that it was as as fascinating and enlightening as, as I was hoping it would be because it was just such a like when I think back on it, it's just kind of like a fever dream because it's like you realize this is not an experience that a lot of people have, but I think it's something that even just thinking about could potentially be interesting or even helpful to another person. Um, and I personally, uh, if I had an opportunity to do group therapy again, whether through a structured get out of work and do this program like this or just like a weekly thing i would personally do it again well that's a very valid that's you know that's a good endorsement at least <laughs> at the very least it's all about it's all about knowing what you need like it probably came through while i was talking that a lot of what i needed was just the good environment and the good surroundings but of course for a lot of people you would probably just benefit more from having one person that you can just talk to and having their professional perspective given back to you yeah. And and sometimes you have to do these random weird things that you didn't sign up for and don't think that you belong in to realize what it is that you need. Yeah. We're our own worst judge of that, to be honest. I once heard a joke or a saying or whatever that you go to therapy to find out the things that everybody else knows about you already. That sounds that sounds rather accurate, honestly. <laughs> well, uh, next episode will be another solo episode. Basically, the plan is I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I think I've I've said this before, but in case I haven't, I don't know. I my memory is is kind of screwed up, and we'll cover why <laughs> next episode. Uh, I do plan on just sort of flip flopping between a solo episode, guest episode, as long as I still have solo topics that I feel like I can talk about. Uh, so next episode will be about my own sort of story in not one-on-one -on -one therapy, though mine is a bit of a weirder type of therapy than yours, uh, if I might <laughs> say so. Hmm, maybe. So, so maybe, maybe a little bit. Just a tad. So please look forward to that. Katie, once again, thank you very much for being on the show. Of course, thank you for having me. And remember... It's different for everyone, but you're not alone. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of It's Different for Everyone. Keep in touch and let us know your thoughts. Follow at IDFEPod on Twitter or send us an email at 
idfepod at gmail.com. We would like to acknowledge Jack DeQuitt as the artist for both our intro song, Castles in the Sky, and our outro song, Time for You to Go to Bed. We would also like to thank Peter Spasia for providing this week's narration. If you were moved by this podcast and would like to show your support or find additional resources, we would appreciate if you looked into the charity known as Take This. Take This is a nonprofit close to our hearts, which seeks to investigate and spread awareness about mental health issues and treatment options, especially within gaming communities. They are best known for providing safe break spaces known as AFK rooms during conventions across the country. For more information or to contribute a donation, go to takethis.org. If you or someone you know is in a crisis situation, there is help available. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is free, confidential, and manned by trained workers who want to help you. You can reach them 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255. You can also visit their website at suicidepreventionlifeline.org for specific resources on a variety of circumstances. Thank you again for being with us today. Remember, help is out there. You are not alone, and it is different for everyone.